Second Corinthians chapter, I mean, Second Kings chapter seven is a is a, a terrific portion of scripture. Uh, let me give you a little bit of the story behind the story. Syria and Samaria were in a time of conflict and the Syrian army had gained the upper hand. And so they had cut off all the supply chains of food and provision to the nation of Samaria. And initially, this really wasn't an issue because they had some surplus and had some things in reserve. But over a long period of time, inflation set in. And when inflation came, it changed the structure of the market. And now a donkey's head sold for eight pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. So there was very few resources that are left within this nation. And so inflated price, there's a, there's a, uh, and, and a real problem economically. So as the food and the resources became more and more scarce, the people suffered to the point of resorting to cannibalism. And now uh, parents were negotiating with other parents uh, as far as, you know, whose child was going to be the next one that was going to be sacrificed so that they could just have provision or food from the day. So you can see how it's gone from just a, a time of bad economics and a time of conflict and supply chains being shut down and inflation on the rise and, and resources being scarce to a point where, where people were doing unimaginable acts just to try to live one more day. It, it, it's almost beyond comprehension what people will go to uh, and what they resort to when they're in survival mode. But this is where they are. They just don't believe that, that tomorrow is going to be any better. They just have a, a very negative attitude and mindset about the future. So at this time, the Lord taps Elisha, the prophet, on the shoulder, and he gives him this message to share with the nation of of uh Samaria. And what he says is in 24 hours, one day, the market is going to turn around and that God was going to intervene on their behalf and he was going to drive out their enemies, that the supply chains would freely flow and the market would bounce back and that you could go into the marketplace and for one piece of silver, you could buy five quarts of fine flour or for one piece of silver, you can get 10 quarts of barley grain. And this message is so unbelievable that when he gives it to the servant of the king of the Samaritans, the servant mocks the man of God and says, this could never happen. Even if God opened the windows of heaven, this could never occur. So people were, were you know, beyond doubting, I mean, they were mocking the things of God, belittling faith, belittling God, saying even even God can't change this circumstance. Even God can't change this situation. We're all in trouble. And, and it didn't happen overnight. It took place over a long period of time. That slow slide that sometimes we just don't imagine would would ever come into our life or our family or our world was now present in everyone's life without exception. From the king all the way down to the most humble servant in the land. 
the Samaritans thought this is the end of our people. The Syrians have besieged us. We have no way of getting out of this situation. So here's the question. How was God, because God had put his word out there through his prophet, how was God going to do what he said he was going to do? Or maybe here's even a better question. Who in the world was God going to use to do this? Because it wasn't as if God was just going to come down and show up and do it. He was going to use somebody for this miracle to happen. And that's how God chooses to do his work is through someone. And you and I are that someone. We've been in a series called Big God in a Small City. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into our text. But I'm going to pick up in verse 3 now. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And why should we sit here waiting to die was the question they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. And, and finally they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and the donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. If you continue to read the rest of the chapter, it says, and the king of Samaria, uh, of the Samaritans mocked. He, he, he couldn't believe this messenger, and he said, no, this is a trick of the Syrians, and they're going to lure us out just so that they can end it for us all right now, and then they're going to come in and take the remainings of our property and our land. And so he said, we're, we're not going to go out, but the king had a few messengers, and, and they said to the king, if you let us go, we have five horses is all we have left that are that can carry us, and, and let's go see if what... These four lepers report is, is true. And so they got on the five horses and they found it was exactly the way that God had said. It happened exactly the way Elijah said it was going to happen. And the next day, the market opened up, supply chains returned. Everybody's 401k bounced back. Everybody's stock blossomed 
And you can see that there was a great renewal and a great restoration and a great victory that was won because of the Lord and his faithfulness. And there's a lot of parallels that I'd like to just bring to you this morning as I share this message. But the first is there was a time of desperation. There was a time of bleakness and darkness. We could say death was in the air. Hope was at a low ebb. Hearts of the people were broken. Yet the least likely in this moment of brokenness and doubt and darkness were chosen by God to turn the tide and bring life and light back to this nation. And sometimes we wonder in small communities that are dying and perishing all across our nation, the economy is bad, but it's really bad for the rural communities in our country right now. Many of them are losing their retail businesses and they can't stay open. Mom and pop restaurants are struggling Supply chains, you know, are choking out the ability for them to get the resources that they need. Because of that, inflation is on the increase. And and we feel that in our pocketbook when you go to the grocery store, heaven forbid that your car break down and you have to go buy a car right now. I mean, it's the market is is just squeezing people tightly and putting the clamps on them and People are beginning to get a little disgruntled and frustrated and angry. And we could even say, you know, uh, they're losing hope and, and they're wondering what kind of future are we going to have? What kind of future are our children going to have? And I know people that are just on, let's just try to make it to another day mode. They have lost hope. They don't, they don't see a bright future. And that's that's across the nation, but it's it's really impacting small communities. And we wonder, could God use small communities to spur something momental and monumental in the world in which we live? And here's my answer to that question. Just consider the city of Bethlehem. The city of Bethlehem was the smallest of the cities, of the city of David. And that's where God chose to plant the seed that would change the world, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. So can God do big things in small cities? Just ask Bethlehem. If anything big and good has ever come out of Bethlehem, yes, the one who saved the whole world. People were skeptical uh, in Jesus' day about the city of Nazareth. Nazareth wasn't the metropolitan area. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't Judea. It was Galilee. It's where all the cities and villages were. And they, this is how much they thought of the city of Nazareth is that when Jesus began to manifest his ministry, people began to invite others to come and to see And the answer for some people who were invited to come and see who Jesus was, was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It it just sounds like a, a time where they doubted what was going on. And this is also a season in history where the Roman government was so oppressive that the people of God felt the weight of being overtaxed 
an underrepresentative. I, I, I think the parallels are easy to draw here, don't you, of what's going on. So the Bible, the Bible is so relevant and so important when we begin to understand the message and how it impacted people then and what God did as a result of, you know, the lack and the pain and the death and the suffering. And we can still have that hope today that even in small communities, small towns, that God hasn't changed, that God is still a big God. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we're not just in typical times. These are not typical times. And and if you try to go about living your life in the same way that you, you, you know, made decisions or led your life 10 or 12 years ago, uh, you're going to be running into some problems that weren't there 10 or 12 years ago. You're, you're going to face some resistance and some doubters and some mockers and scoffers that, that weren't as boisterous and proud and haughty and loud as, as they, they are now. Ten years ago, they weren't, but they had those thoughts. They just didn't have a platform to communicate them. And now they do. So another thing I want you to, to consider in this message is that there was a moment of discovery. Who did God choose to use? Four lepers. <laughs> Oh, the wisdom of God. It confounds the wisest of the world. Four lepers who were outside of the city, outsiders. Isn't that the way people in small towns feel sometimes? We're, we're outsiders. We're not part of the, the big communities. We don't have a lot of amenities. We don't have a lot to offer. You know, there's, there's not a lot in our town. Hey, don't blink. You may miss our town if you go through it. Be careful, there's just one stoplight. There's a million stop signs, but there's one stoplight, and that one will get you every time. And no one will come for four miles around, and you'll have to sit at that red light for at least three minutes. But these four lepers, in this time of desperation where they realized we're going to die, had a moment of discovery. And it's this, let's die on our terms. Let's not wait for someone to come take us out. Let's not wait for, you know, just no more food and nothing else to drink and we just shrivel up like a raisin and we just die here at the gates. We have enough strength to get up and do something and though we're the most like motley crew that you've ever seen. We're not the greatest representatives. They had an epiphany. They had a moment where the lights came on and they said, let's go out and let's just go face our enemies and let's quit running from our enemies and denying that we have enemies and Let's just go see who these people are and look them in the eye. And if they want to kill us, then so be it. We'll just die. But at least we'll die looking them in the eye and not just withering away. And there's a lot of people that are just done with life and they're just sitting around waiting for their last 
heartbeat and pulse, and then that's it. We'll just go home and be with the Lord. Our best days are behind us. But no, they had a let's do this attitude. You know what? Let's do this. Let's just not sit around. Let's let's do something about this. Let's be proactive. I'm, I'm tired of everyone saying that we can't do anything and and this old town's going to dry up and blow away and nothing good can come from our community and no change and no famous people and nothing noteworthy has ever happened in our town. We get excited about a few events that we have in our communities. You know, we love tulip time. We celebrate the nationals and but, you know, we're just blue-collar people out in rural Iowa. And if we were off the map, people would just drive by here and they just turn this town into another bean and cornfield. It's just, that's the way it is. The only thing that will be left is our grave markers to sort of give some historical perspective of who lived here and died here at some point in time. But, no, that's not what happened. They had a moment of discovery. And they had no idea that Elisha had said the market's going to turn in one day. They, they didn't hear that announcement. But when Elisha made that announcement, God tapped them on the shoulders and began a moment in their life where they could see something different. The third was they had a call of duty. They went in. This is maybe my my favorite portion of this story. I, I I love the whole story, but when they when they went in, uh, of course, they did. They weren't a noble army. They they had no weapons to fight with. Um, they they were missing body parts. Leprosy had deprived them of their dignity. They were outcast. They were unclean, they had no societal privileges, and, and, and maybe hobbling along on that road on a cane and one supporting another one, uh, as they moved, God made it sound like General Patton had come in with his tanks, and it was just going to level the ground, and, and uh, it it was the farthest thing from reality, but it was the reality that the Aramean or the Syrian uh, uh, <clears throat> army began to hear in the in the nighttime. They they didn't come during the day. They they came at twilight. And, and here's an interesting fact for baseball fans, and then I'll I'll get back to this. Nolan Ryan is is probably one of the greatest pitchers that has ever put his toe on a rubber and thrown a baseball. and But you know where he had his most success, his biz, biggest success, where he threw most of his no-hitters? At twilight. Right when the sun was setting and the shadows began to loom over the field, and his fastball would go from light to darkness and had so much movement that the hitters couldn't pick it up till the last minute. And by that time, it's by them. It's amazing what God does in the shadows, in the dark times, in those moments where, you know, it looks like the sun is fading on our life, on our hopes, on our marriages, on our finances, on everything. 
And God is just getting ready to do one of the greatest things he's ever done in your life. So they go over the cover of night. And part of the reason I believe that God led them to go at night is if you go during the day, it's easily identified the Syrians say, what is this motley crew coming in and what are they going to do? Are they, they think we're going to give them some of our food and water and gold and silver and provision. <laughs> I think we're going to just surrender to them. Uh, they're crazy. So they came at night and, and God just did surround sound and everything changed and the Syrians folded up camp. And fled. And scripture says, though your enemy come at you one way, they'll flee before you seven ways. And you have to remember that in the battles of life and in the moments where you feel like, you know, these desperate times have just taken all of the faith out of me, all the courage, all the want to, all the will. It's just all gone. There's going to be a moment, if you'll listen to the word of the Lord, that you're going to have a moment where the lights go on and you're going to see something. And it's going to put faith back in you to get up and to start walking. And as you start walking, God adds to your steps of faith. And God shows up in your moments of faith and they start walking into <laughs> this camp. And then they just have a party, right? The four of them just go bazooka. They eat everything. It's like... You know, Golden Corral on steroids. Every, I mean, just uh, every tent. What are you serving? Popcorn shrimp. I'm thinking, I'll have some of that. And then what are you serving? I'm, we're serving filet mignon. I'll, I'll have some filet mignon. And, and what do I have to drink over here? Well, we have anything that you want. And, well, I'll have uh, three of those and one of those. And, and what's in line for dessert? Well, we can have some cherry pie to cheesecake. Or, uh, well, I'll take one of each. And they're sitting and they're looking at each other and they're eating and drinking and celebrating and they're, they're just, they're just like, this is too good to be true. They're pinching themselves and, and in this moment, they look at each other and they put down their turkey leg and they say, this isn't right. Now this is where this gets on my toes. Let me know if it gets on yours. This is a great picture of Christians. Oh, we sit at the table and dine. We eat the best. We drink the best. We're fat. We're happy. But have we come to the point that we understand there's those that are outside and we have a call to duty to share the provision we have with them? It's not right for us just to get fat and fatter and fatter spiritually We're meant to go exercise our faith and to share this knowledge and this truth and the resources that we have with others. Share this life with others. So they said, we're out of here. We're nourished. We're well watered. Let's go nourish and well water others. Let them know that this is available for them also. The victory just isn't for us. The victory is for everyone. And church, the victory that Christ has won is for everyone. It belongs to every person. But some people are perishing. They're starving. They're thirsty. They're hurting. And they don't know that a banquet table has been set up by Jesus 
for them to come and dine at. And yet we dine at it quite often. And rightfully so. But we should also leave the table so that we can go and share some of that with others. And then fourthly, there was those that they had to deal with that were doubters. There's always going to be people that mock and scoff and belittle and persecute and, and, and choose not to believe. But you can't allow that to hinder the walk that you're called to walk and the life you're called to live. You just, it, it can't. Because through the course of weeding through all the doubters, you're going to find people that are going to be like the servants to the king of Samaritan that are going to say, you know what, we want to go and see if this is true. You can doubt all you want, king, and you can say this is a setup to take us out, but something within us says there's got to be more than what we're doing right now. If we keep doing what we keep doing, we're going to keep having what we've always had. And I don't think that there's like hope for that kind of equation in life. So God, who, how did God do, do this and who did he choose to do it through? Some of the most unqualified, <laughs> least likely, ostracized, People, but to God be the glory, to God be the glory. And we serve a big God in a small city and he is faithful. The good work that he has started, he'll be faithful to complete. So do we live in times where you can recognize that there's some desperate things that people are beginning to do, desperate ways in which they're beginning to act and maybe even you can pick it up in their conversation to where they uh, are frustrated, angry, cynical, accusational, pessimistic. We can use a lot of synonyms there. But are there people, though, that still in the midst of all of this desperation are having moments of discovery and they may not look like the people that, you know, are the most noble or worthy or wise, but they're the ones that God is using and has chosen. And we can see it that they're taking steps of faith and we, we, we even sometimes are amazed that, wow, look at these people. They're getting up and moving and, and they're showing Faith. And then we have this call of duty. and there, There's no getting around the fact that we're in a time of conflict and spiritual warfare. And deception is, is so prevalent. But in these moments, it's where the light shines the brightest and where God will be glorified the most. So don't let the mockers, the doubters keep you from getting up and moving forward with the word that God put in your heart because you're going to experience his victory. I want to close by making this statement. 
The lepers had no idea what was on the other side of their obedience. And you don't either. You don't know what sound effects God will add. You don't know how he will cause your enemies to flee before you seven ways. But he's going to do it. You don't know how he's going to restore things that have been lost or a market that has been devastated or supply chains that have been cut off. We, We may not know how, but we don't do that part. We're not responsible for that. He is. He adds the sound effects. He brings terror into the enemy's camp. When? When his people get up and start moving by faith. When they realize that, you know, the best life I have is still in front of me. And there's some pieces and parts that are missing. (laughs) I'm not the man I used to be. But I'm not going to die eating pigeon's poop. And living in the bottom of the barrel, I'm not going to go out this way. I'm at least going to go confront my enemy. And I don't know who your enemy is. Fear of failure. Rejection. Abuse. Could be an enemy. Addictions. In any form. That all of us have to deal with in life. But through Christ, we can always triumph. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.